Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I got an email from a listener a few weeks back named Sarah, and she was asking me to do a podcast on how to help when your partner doesn't even believe in anxiety. And I thought that is a great topic because I deal with that all the time in my practice. It's incredibly common that one partner, and I'm not going to be sexist, but honestly, like statistically, that tends to be the male in the relationship. Not always. I have had quite a few moms that I can think of over the last decade or two that were the one that didn't believe in anxiety. But more often than not, the dad has a hard time believing in anxiety. Now you might be a dad and say, Hey, it's my wife. Totally cool. I believe that that could happen too. And it does. But Sarah wanted some suggestions on how to deal with her husband and his lack of understanding, thinking that anxiety disorders just don't exist. Now that is a very big deal for many reasons. One, well, it's kind of a marriage buster. Is marriage? I don't even know why I just said that. I don't know what marriage buster is, <laughs> but it can really hurt marriages because if you love your children and you want to parent them in the best way possible, and you know, they're suffering either because you just get anxiety or you've had anxiety or you have anxiety and your partner is approaching it in the completely wrong way. That can be a big damper on the relationship in general. So it can impact a marriage. Secondly, it can also really do some damage to the anxious child because how you parent an anxious child is very different than how you would parent a child that's not anxious. And some parental approaches are counterintuitive. I kind of brainstormed in my head and I was like, what are the things that I hear on the other side of the couch in my therapy office? from these partners that don't get anxiety. So I wrote the five most common things I hear from these parents who kind of want to argue with me and argue with their partner and debate how anxiety doesn't exist. Or some of them are actually not intentionally trying to be difficult. They truly just don't get it. And those are the parents that I eventually can reach, but the ones that are just purely adversarial just to be adversarial, some people are just not reachable. So maybe you'll find your partner somewhere along the spectrum of reachable versus non-reachable. And hopefully I can help you today bring them a little bit over to the reachable side. Thankfully, in my own home with my husband, he gets anxiety or we'd have a major problem (laughs) because, well, he's married to an anxious wife for starters. And we have three anxious kids. And so if he did not understand anxiety and all I do is eat, live, and breathe, advocating and teaching about anxiety, we'd have probably a pretty big marital issue. Thankfully, he's a wonderful person and he understands anxiety and he's allowed me to educate him on some of our own children's struggles. So I also want to mention before I get started that... Sarah also sent me some of her daughter's poetry. Her daughter, Rachel, is 13, and part of the way that she copes with her anxiety is she writes these beautiful poems, 
and they are looking to get it published. And I said to Sarah, send them my way. I would love to read them. And she did. And they did not disappoint me. They were very, very beautiful poems, very eloquent. And I thought, you know, they would really resonate with you guys to hear a 13 year old's perspective on anxiety from her own view. So at the end of this podcast, I am going to read one of Rachel's poems to celebrate her and her writing and to give you some insight into how maybe your children are feeling with their own anxiety. So let's get started with how to deal with that difficult partner. So number one on my top five things that most parents will say when they don't believe in anxiety is there is no genetic component. They do not believe that anxiety runs in families. They don't believe that it's genetic. They don't believe that it's a physiological condition. And they feel like either the child is manipulating everybody or has poor behavior. So some parents in this category can be taught and they honestly just legitimately don't know that anxiety has a genetic predisposition. And so there are a lot of parents that come into my practice and I find that I spend the first parenting session just educating them because they'll say, you know, I don't even understand why my child is anxious. And we'll get to that because that's actually one of my numbers of my top five. So I'll spend some time talking about how anxiety can make the amygdala overreactive. And so just like we have kids with diabetes who have a pancreas problem, kids with anxiety have issues with serotonin and they have issues with an overactive amygdala. There is plenty of research to support that anxiety has a genetic component. And I was going to link all of these articles to help you in your fight with your partner to strengthen the understanding and the concept that anxiety has a physiological basis, but there are so many, and a lot of them are very scientific that it kind of depends on your partner. You know, are they going to read a scientific journal or do they need something that's kind of watered down? So instead of me doing that, you can simply Google genetic component to anxiety. I put that in Google and a lot of good articles popped up. So if you really want to bolster your evidence that anxiety has a strong physiological basis, Google that. And then there's going to be tons of scientific research. There's actually some fluffy like psychology today articles that are a little bit more palatable and digestible to read. And you can, you can provide them with that evidence there. A lot of parents just don't understand that they didn't realize that anxiety has a genetic component. So there's a lot of well-intentioned parents that just need educating. And that might be your partner. You have to say like, look, you know, anxiety is just like diabetes. We wouldn't be upset with our kids if they were diabetic. We would look at treatment and we would look at providing them with all the things that they need in order to help them with diabetes. So one thing that I do with parents who are having a hard time with anxiety in general is I equate it to diabetes a lot. And I do that because I want, I want parents to see that it is a medical condition. Now, yes, anxiety can be caused from trauma or from a rough situation and environmental stressors can definitely make it worse. But today I'm talking about anxiety disorders, anxiety disorders that are genetic, like general anxiety disorder, panic disorder, even OCD, even though that's not the primary thing of what we're talking about. 
some parents have a hard time acknowledging that there is a genetic predisposition to anxiety because there's some pride. And so if I acknowledge that there is a genetic predisposition to anxiety, then irrationally parents will think, well, then I'm to blame. You know, I genetically have given this to my children. And so that makes me feel bad. Or with dads, I see a pride thing more often. Like I don't want that to be something that's in my genes, you know, and they, they equate anxiety to being weak or to being, um, you know, to use like horrible words, like a wuss. I mean, I've heard all sorts of things in my practice to be wimpy, you know, a lot of these weird stereotypes and it couldn't be farther from the truth. But I think that that sometimes is why some parents don't want to accept the genetic predisposition slant to anxiety. Okay. Anyway, on to number two, they have nothing to be anxious about. Why would a five-year-old be anxious? What does my 10-year-old who is born with a silver spoon in their mouth have to be anxious about? Or I give everything to my child. I provide them with a great house, a great environment. They have nothing that they don't want. Why on earth are they anxious and stressed? So there's almost like an anger to it. Like kids don't have a right to have anxiety because their life is so great. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) If a child going back to the diabetes again, because I think that you really want to bring it back to it being a medical condition. If a child is diabetic and you feed them all this glorious food and you're like, you know, here are these delicious bakery items and carbs and And then now you can't process that your pancreas is having a problem processing that I give you all this amazing, great food. I baked from scratch and you can't eat it. You can't stomach it. You can't hang with that. What's wrong with you? Why are you so ungrateful? Okay. We would never say that to a diabetic kid, right? I mean, that would be kind of (laughs) weird. It's the exact same thing. Someone who's anxious, someone who has an overactive amygdala or someone who, you know, has some serotonin issues that is legitimately physiologically going on in their body, they can't control if they're stressed or not. And in fact, most of the kids who have an anxiety disorder stress about things that have never happened and will never happen to them. And so all those questions that a lot of parents ask who don't get anxiety, like, I don't understand why he's afraid to go to school. Nothing bad has happened to him at school. It's not about school. Or I don't know why she won't go to sleep at night. No one's ever broken in. Or I don't know why he's so worried about a fire. We've never had a fire. Or I don't know why my kid is so worried that I'm never going to pick him up. I've always picked him up. What is his problem? It's not about you. It's not about what you've done or what they've experienced. Anxiety is all about what can be, what the potential is, what ifs. That's anxiety. And unfortunately, our amygdala is designed to provide us with threats so that we can be prepared. And so the overactive amygdala is going to provide us with way too many what ifs, and our body is going to react to that. And so 99.9% of the time, kids are going to be anxious about things that have never happened or will never happen to them. And so, yes, a toddler can be anxious. A lot of dads will say to me, how can my toddler be anxious? I mean, they haven't even started life. What on earth can be so anxiety producing when you're a toddler? 
And that just shows me that parent doesn't get anxiety because a, you know, a toddler can be diabetic and, you know, maybe they haven't had some amazing, delicious things yet, but they can still be diabetic. So that is number two. On to number three. Number three, I often hear parents tell me, you know, if they could just be more positive, then everything would be fine. You know, if they could just try a little bit harder to, you know, be optimistic, then they wouldn't have this problem. It's their viewpoint. It's their perception. And that is very simplistic because yes, if somebody can change their thoughts, they can actually change their brain, but changing their thoughts is an uphill battle. Because if my brain is programmed to think in a negative, anxious sort of way, and all of the neurotransmitters that are going on in my brain and my amygdala all want to make me panicky and make me worry, and they're providing me with scenarios that are not happening in your brain. So you might go to bed and just think about your day tomorrow and think about relaxing, but an anxious child is going to wonder or may wonder, Hmm. I wonder if anyone locked the back door. Now they don't control those thoughts. They don't want to have that thought. They're not sitting there going to bed and saying, you know what? I think tonight I'm going to stay up for a few hours and just like, you know, obsess about the safety of my family and whether we're going to live to see another day. That sounds kind of relaxing. No, (laughs) nobody does that. Nobody wants to say, you know, I'm going to ruminate for the next few hours before I go to bed just to make it a little bit more exciting. Kids don't want to sit up there and worry, but because they have an anxious brain, they don't go to, oh, I wonder what kind of fun thing I'm going to do tomorrow. No, they go to, I wonder if there's someone in my closet who's going to slit my throat. I wonder if my parents are already dead. Is there somebody outside the hall waiting to kill me too? Did I hear something? Was that the ice maker or was that someone breaking the window? Yeah, that's what an anxious person thinks. And so you want to explain that to your partner or hopefully maybe you got your partner to listen to this podcast episode. That kind of helps because I'm kind of speaking directly to those people. (laughs) All of a sudden, I've noticed that that's what I'm doing. So if you're listening to this and you're not listening with your partner, I'm sorry that I'm like screaming at you, (laughs) but I'm trying to give you uh, some insight that you can share with your partner to give them a better perspective. Anxious kids will inevitably just think of anxiety producing things. And so they have to get out of that hole. They have to dig themselves out of the hole that anxiety physiologically puts them in. So that's the difference. So yeah, if I am Joe Schmo and I don't have anxiety and I go to bed and I'm all happy, I can fall asleep pretty easily. Or if I have to go to work the next day and I'm not bombarded with too many anxious thoughts, maybe a few, oh, I got to talk to my boss today. But then other than that, I'm okay then yeah, it's pretty easy for me to face my fears because I'm going to just get in the car and make myself feel better. Okay. My boss isn't that scary, whatever. And I'll go to work. But if I'm an anxious person, I have to go to school and I have to get in the car and I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder if we're going to make it to school alive. You know, maybe we'll get in a car accident. Maybe someone's going to hit us. I wonder if my parents are going to pick me up after school or maybe a meteorite is going to hit the school and we're all going to die before I get to go home. Kids do think like that. And it's not because they want to. And so for me to fight my fears and go to school, despite all of those things is going to be 10 times harder than it is for you 
to go to work because you're having a little bit of anxiety, normal amount of anxiety about talking to your boss. That is apples and oranges. Okay. Up next, I want to go into my last two points that I always hear in my office. And these are the juiciest ones because this is what causes most of the strife. So stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. Okay, number four is if we can just discipline better then our kids won't be anxious. I hear that all the time. And unfortunately, I think in general, just parenting an anxious child is a very slippery slope. It is tricky because you don't want to over enable, but you don't want to over discipline. And when someone's paralyzed with fear, discipline is not going to work. And so I tell the parent who doesn't get anxiety, I say, look, you could do your approach. I mean, if you want to be punitive and ground her because she won't go to school, you can do that. I'm not having a problem with that, but what I am having a problem with is that it's not going to work. So do it, but it's not going to be effective. Or you can spank her if you want to. That's your prerogative because I don't condemn or condone any parenting style, but let me just share with you one thing. Spanking her isn't going to hurt. Spanking her isn't going to help. So it's not that I'm philosophically, you know, having an issue with whatever your parenting is. I'm just telling you that it's just not going to work. So do you want to do something that will work or do you want to do something that won't work? That's the bigger question. So it's not that you and your partner maybe are disagreeing on the parenting style, although maybe you kind of are, but you don't really want to present it that way. You just want to say, look, I've read and I've, I've listened to podcasts like this one. And I'm just telling you that that parenting style is just not going to work for our kid. And yes, you might have to parent your anxious child different than you have to parent your other kids. And that's just life. I always tell my kids and they probably hate me for it, but I'm always like, life is not even and life is not fair. We all get different things at different times, depending on what we need. And so your anxious child might have to be parented in a different way. I do talk about how to discipline anxious kids in episode 21, and that might be a good one for you and your partner to go back and listen to because discipline is probably the number one thing that parents disagree on when one parent doesn't really believe in anxiety. You really want to kind of get on the same page. And if you can't, then you can either talk to your partner and say, look, I'll deal with her. I have had parents do this where the, uh, the parent who understands the anxiety will say, I get her anxiety. I know that you don't understand it. Can you just for the next few weeks, let me deal with her. So sometimes if you're not able to reach your partner, some parents are able to at least get some control over the discipline because the worst thing for an anxious child is to have two different parenting approaches coming at them at the same time. It's really not helpful. If your partner can't get on board then you can at least say, look, I understand that you don't get it and you don't have to get it. Anxiety is so confusing and that's fine. Give me a month. Let me just parent her in the way that maybe will help her anxiety or what I think will help her anxiety. And let's just see how it goes. And then we can regroup and we can see, you know, after a month or maybe it's a permanent thing. 
Or maybe your partner is willing to try to incorporate your parenting style and see how it goes. Or maybe they could care less and they don't want to talk to you. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who are probably in that boat where you're like, oh, there's like, there's no talking about this. Like there's no changing him. There's no, you know, getting him to let me parent only. And unfortunately in those situations, you're just going to have to work around your partner. I mean, you could recommend that maybe you go into couples therapy because it will create a big marital strife or you do whatever you can do. Because my guess is if that's the case, you might have other marital issues besides the anxiety. You know, maybe you're not seeing eye to eye on a lot of things, but hopefully your partner is a little bit more flexible. And a lot of times I will find that moms will come into my practice and they'll say, can I bring my husband in? Because what you just said to me, he needs to hear. (laughs) And they'll say, he'll listen to you, you know, because you're a quote unquote professional. Now I have had plenty of dads who didn't respect women at all. And so they weren't going to listen to me and they might listen to a male therapist, which is totally messed up. And I have had dads where they wouldn't listen to any therapist because therapists are quacks. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a male or female, but I have had lots of parents, not only dads, but lots of parents in general where they just want to, they couldn't hear it from their spouse, but they could hear it from a professional. So if that is the case, either have your partner listen to certain podcasts um, or read articles or, you know, go and have a therapy session with either if your child's child therapist, that sounded very redundant, your child, child therapist. But if your child is already seeing a child therapist, ask them, you know, is it okay if my, just me and my husband come in and talk to you? And you may not be able to drag your husband there because I know some parents that I work with, they can never get their husbands into a therapy session. The husband is okay with the child going into therapy, but they want nothing to do with it. And that's really unfortunate. I have had some dads who are willing to take my online class. They won't come into therapy, but they will take my online class. And they learn a lot from that because it's a little bit more palatable to not have to like face somebody. One of the big things I hear a lot from moms about their partners is he just doesn't want someone to tell us how to raise our children. I hear that a lot. And my response to that is, Oh, I'm not going to tell you how to raise your kids. I'm going to tell you how to raise an anxious child, any anxious child. And I'm also going to tell you how to figure out your child's anxiety. So you know how to help them with it. There's a big difference. So a lot of times there's just that rigidity because there's a pride issue. I don't want some stranger to tell me how to raise my kids. So to get around that, your partner can read books. They can take online classes. You can take my online class. You can visit my, I have an online class for anxiety and an online class for OCD. And you can see both of those at no www, but just, uh, anxious And I have two classes. I have one little class on how to get kids to listen, but it's not about anxiety or OCD. So let's talk about the last most common thing I hear from parents who don't believe in anxiety. And that is, you know what? She doesn't act that way for me. He doesn't do that when I'm with him. She doesn't do that when I'm with her. You coddle them. You baby her. This is your fault. If you didn't baby her so much, she wouldn't be this way. You caused this. So maybe you get some rendition of that. And some of you are probably like, yes, 
Oh my gosh, that is verbatim what happens at my house. And I know this because I sit across the couch from couples all week long, listening to them say these things to each other. And it's horrible. And I always have to jump in and say, no, 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 no. Nobody created this. This is physiological. Go back to point number one. And then I talk about how anxious kids will shut down when they are intimidated. And so, yes, he may not act that way for you. He may sit there and be the most compliant, fearless kid. He might go to bed and he may not say a thing to you, but that does not mean that he's not anxious. When kids are threatened, when they worry that they're going to get severely disciplined, or maybe their perception is they're going to be severely disciplined, or your tone is really rough or barky, the child is going to be intimidated. And when kids are intimidated, they shut down. So they're very compliant and they're not going to push boundaries. And so maybe they'll stay in their bed. Maybe, you know, mom is out somewhere or maybe she is on a trip and you're tucking the kids in for once and they don't get out of their bed. And you're like, huh, go figure. It's because I put my foot down and I don't coddle them and I don't baby them. I just threaten them. Well, yeah, that might be very effective in, in the short term, but your child is laying in bed paralyzed with fear and they're not going to convey that to you. And so all of those endorphins and the cortisol and all those chemicals that really are not good for your child's body are pumping through them and they're just laying there in bed and they're laying there terrified and traumatized for a very long period of time. And eventually they do fall asleep. But what they've learned from that experience with you is that they need to keep their anxiety undercover and their anxiety isn't going away. They aren't developing any coping mechanisms. They're not learning how to talk about their anxiety. All they're learning is to keep it quiet and deal with it themselves. So there's a couple things that happen with kids who aren't able to express their anxiety. One, they never develop any kind of emotional vocabulary. So they never learn how to talk about their feelings, which in general is pretty sucktastic. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word, but it's pretty sucky because if your kid doesn't know how to talk about their feelings, they're going to be horrible partners for somebody else in the future. So great. Now we're just kind of perpetuating that vicious life cycle of, you know, how maybe your partner is to how your kid will be with their partner. It's not just about anxiety. They just won't articulate any of their emotions because they're going to be shut down. Secondly, they're going, their anxiety is going to manifest physically because if I can't talk it out, and I'm not being given coping mechanisms to work it out, then I'm going to physically get it out. So I'm going to have a lot more somatic issues. I'm going to have stomach issues, GI issues. I guess that's kind of the same thing. Headaches, um, maybe some panic, panic attacks, things I can't control, some insomnia. Maybe as I get older, I'm going to have hypertension and heart issues because the stress that I'm putting on my body. So long-term, completely not healthy. The important thing to realize is that the child isn't developing any coping mechanisms. And so their anxiety is not going away just because they're behaving for you or they're not letting you know that they're feeling anxious. And if a child is not able to talk about their anxiety and it's not comfortable to admit that they're anxious, they feel guilty or embarrassed or shamed because of your reaction they're not going to tell you when they're anxious. And if they don't tell you when they're anxious, then there's no opportunity to help them face their fears. And there's no opportunity to develop those coping mechanisms. 
And a lot of times anxiety can quickly turn into depression because if I'm not externalizing my anxiety, if I'm not sharing it with my parent and telling them, oh gosh, I'm so nervous about going to school. I'm so nervous about going to bed. I'm so nervous about talking to other people and I'm not having a conversation with you. And then you're not giving me coping mechanisms of, okay, I know that's really tricky, but there's ways that you can work through it. Let's talk about slowly working towards our fear and giving them those coping mechanisms. Then they're just going to sit with it and they're going to sit with it privately. And that's going to be very depressing. And that's when anxiety can turn into depression. So the parent that kind of brags that their child doesn't seem anxious on their watch is kind of an uneducated parent because they're looking at the surface and assuming there's nothing in the ocean. Well, yeah, the ocean looks very, very soothing and calm and looks like there's nothing going on, but there's lots of sharks and all sorts of things underneath the water. So ignoring that a problem exists doesn't mean the problem goes away. It just means that it's not handled and nobody wants a problem that's not handled. It's already hard enough to get kids to talk about their anxiety and to talk about their fears, let alone having a parent that shuts it down. So that would be my rebuttal for any parent out there or any partner that you're dealing with that says you coddle him. It's your fault because you baby him. Yeah, there is a fine line. And I do feel like if you listen to any of my other podcasts, I talk a lot about empowering anxious kids and the fine line between enabling your anxious child and empowering them to fight their fears. And I think that's maybe where some partners get it wrong is they think that if we acknowledge the anxiety that we are catering to it and that we're growing it bigger when in reality, the best way to deal with anxiety is in small incremental steps. So if I have a child who is not wanting to go to bed because they're terrified at night, and they legitimately feel like their life is in danger because that's how anxious kids feel. Yes. Just saying, come and sleep with me, or I'll just lay with you. Isn't really a good solution for anxiety. Now I always say to this, if you have a family bed and it's a philosophical thing, that's great. I'm not talking to you, but if you just want your child to sleep and you're like, you know what? They're fine. As long as they sleep in our bed or they're fine. As long as I lay with them, well, you're not really teaching them. So that is all the way on the, on that one side where maybe your partner is, is fed up, but your child is not going to just randomly all of a sudden develop skills to cope with sleeping on their own, like overnight, that doesn't happen. It has to be incremental. So then you'll have to start working towards that. And we're not going to talk about that today because I'm wrapping up my podcast, not revving it up, but I do talk about sleep issues in episode 10. So I just wanted to add though, to those partners out there who are listening or to you, when you talk to your partner, you're not saying you want to give into the anxiety, just the opposite. If you read anything or listen to anything or watch anything that I do, whether it's my YouTube channel or my podcast, I am very, very big in empowering anxious kids and my own kids. They don't get to just feed their anxiety, but you have to understand how to do that and how to do that correctly and not bully them. There is a big difference. Well, I hope that I reached some partners out there or gave you some ideas on how to talk to your partner. So a little bit of podcast housekeeping. If you want to join my private Facebook group, I would love to have you over there. 
you can join by going to the direct link at facebook.com's backslash groups backslash AT Parenting Anxious Kids. Uh, if you're not sure about all that, you can just go to my website and I have a pink button at the very bottom. It was gone for a few days because I had some hiccups with my website, but it is back. And I also have some good news that is probably only good for me, <laughs> but I'm always complaining about my website being called anxioustoddlers.com. Long story, I ramble on it a lot in many podcasts, but I have changed my domain name to anxioustoddlers2teens.com and you can type in anxioustoddlers.com anyway. It will get routed in the same spot, but it makes me feel better because I talk about anxiety and OCD. When I first made my website two years ago, the I had just come out with my first book, How to Parent Your Anxious Toddler, and everything I did was around toddlers. And very shortly after that, I found that I loved writing. I was writing a lot of general parenting topics as well. And I found I love writing only about anxiety and OCD and for all ages. In fact, most of the time, not about toddlers. I mean, I have tons and tons of toddler articles and podcasts and YouTube videos because I did a lot of work in the first year purely on toddlers. But now I find that I talk about all ages and predominantly about even older kids, you know, elementary school and up. So anywho, changed my name to anxious toddlers to teens.com. And my website is AT parenting survival for all ages. The AT stands for anxious toddlers to teens. So I tied it all back together. (laughs) I know you're so excited. You could care less, but I'm thrilled because I finally found a way to kind of fix that problem. So if you want to join the private Facebook group, that would be great. And if you want to get my weekly newsletter, so you know what's going on with AT Parenting Survival, then there is a link below if you are listening to this on iTunes. If you're enjoying my podcast, please, you can take two seconds of your time. And if you're listening on iTunes, there are stars by my podcast name, and you can just click a star and show your support. If you're feeling really giving, you can leave a review. It'll take you 20 seconds. And I definitely appreciate those reviews and they help other parents decide if they want to really commit their time to listening to podcasts because podcasts are a big commitment. So I appreciate all the people that do that every week. And for those of you that listen, but haven't done it, if you can take a moment to do it, I will say thank you in advance. So I want to end this podcast episode with some amazing words from Rachel And I want to thank her for sharing her insight and her poems with us. This poem is called Overcrowded, and Rachel is 13. What am I doing here? Living this white lie of a life? Maybe I'm lazy, crazy. Maybe I'm just out of my mind. All these people, all these thoughts banging on the back of my eyes. What am I doing here? Hanging from the string made of human veins and ivy, laying on this bed made of black leather and metal, trapped in this skin made of dry ice and dust. What am I doing here? Laughing while I'm crying, worlds already dying, crashing into the sun, following something I can't explain. Don't even think for a minute you're sane. What am I doing here? Wise words from a 13-year-old. Okay, I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. 
Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com. 